FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 95 of the podcast, The Ghost Snicked. I'm your host, Jason. There's a queen inside of me, Venable. <laughs> you all knew that anyway, right? <laughs> and yeah, this is a flashback episode, but I'm by myself. So there's lots of different reasons for that. One is just scheduling and it's not just scheduling like conflicts but also scheduling for some things i want to happen we have a couple of big things coming up and i have certain things i want to get to by that time and so that kind of um means no lollygagging on the flashback so that kind of stuck me by myself because cameron is in the middle of finishing up his doctorate uh paper what do you call that um, dissertation and then I'm in theory while you're hearing this either at or just got back from Disney World and yep for like a week so there's been a lot of scheduling stuff there but yeah so just kind of the way it worked out well this is kind of a big thing to do by myself that we're doing the brood saga by the way so it's kind of a bummer to do that solo but I hope that when we get to a few things in the next couple of months that you'll think it's worth it Hopefully so. Fingers crossed that, that you all eventually agree with me. Because I know it would be much more fun if I had Cameron or Denise. But unfortunately for you, for this time, it's just me. I feel like, you know, we're doing the broom song. Right? Like, that's a big deal. It should be a, a really long episode. And I don't know if it will be or not. I tend to move a little faster when I'm by myself, obviously. Because I'm not discoursing with anybody else. Anyway, we'll see how it goes. There's a lot of interesting stuff, so hopefully I can keep you interested enough to uh, to, to just listen to me uh, go it alone for one episode, which I normally reserve for just the shorter flashbacks, but I'm going to have to do it on a longer one. And anyway, enough excuses. I'm going to do the best I can to entertain you, to make you laugh, to make you cry, to make you sneeze. I don't know why I would do that, but I'm just a jerk. Anyway, uh, let's get to the comics. We're going to cover the Brood Saga. That's going to be Uncanny X-Men. We're going to kind of start with the uh, the prologue in 161, and then do the whole saga through 167. So that's that's a, that's a lot of space opera, but uh, we're going to get to it. So, all right, here we go. All right, so first up, we have kind of a prologue of sorts to the Brood Saga. In Uncanny X-Men 161, this is Gold Rush. It is written by Chris Claremont, with the pencils by Dave Cockrum, inks by Bob Wyacek, letters by Tom Orzakowski, Glennis Ween is a colorist. Our cover is by Cockrum and Wyacek, and it's a cool layout. It basically has a Baron Von Strucker in the background screaming with a yellow face then in the foreground, we have Professor X and Magneto on top of a mountain of gold fighting uh, Hydra spacesuit people. <laughs> and Professor X is holding a, a damsel in distress. And um, the background, I think, looks really cool. Bar- Baron Von Strucker looks nice. And with his scar and his monocle and his screaming and his Kirby crackle around his head. The action in the foreground a little stiff particularly magneto does not look cool professor x actually looks pretty good and the hydra agents look pretty cool so really my only beef with the cover is magneto looks a little bit ridiculous but other than that 
Some pretty cool cover. So basically, here's our rundown. The X-Men came back from space. They had fought the brood and some Shi'ar. And remember, Professor X was left in a catatonic state. He's in a coma. And we find out now that that is because there's a brood inside of him. We start off with Professor X still in the coma, fighting the brood inside with the X-Men by his side. Scott is distressed, uh, Cyclops. He fights with Storm about the Pentagon incident, remember with the rogue and Carol Danvers, Mystique. Uh, Basically, he challenges her leadership skills. Yes, she protected the X-Men's secrets, but in the process, she damaged both their rep (laughs) and and according to Cyclops, kind of single-handedly worsened mutant relations in the whole U.S. But then he backs off and apologizes. He says that losing Jean and now Professor X is just all too much for him to take. Then, in Professor X's head, we get a flashback to after World War II, where he goes to Israel to help a friend with Holocaust survivors. Here he meets Magnus and a catatonic Gabriel Haller. You want to remember that name. He uses telepathy to enter her mind and break down walls, seeing her past via visions of Nazi monsters and gold statues. Not the Oscars. (laughs) A spy sees her awake in a runs off to tell his uh, superiors. Over the following weeks, Charles, Magnus, and Gabby are thick as thieves. Charles and Magnus debate mutant philosophies and theory, and Gabby falls for Charles. He admittedly does not love her, but makes out with her anyway because he's kind of a douche. They're attacked by Hydra who want the girl. Magnus uses his magnetic powers to destroy one of the Hydra ships, but they still get away with Gabby. Charles sees this, discovering that Magnus is a mutant and confronts him. Charles then mind-reads a Hydra survivor, and he and Magnus go after Gabby and Kenya. Baron Strucker is using Gabby. I think I said Von Strucker earlier. Anyway, uh, Baron Strucker is using Gabby because in her mind is locked a map to Hitler's gold. Charles and Magnus pull the Stormtrooper Rescue the Princess move by dressing as Hydra agents and are rescuing Gabby. And she says, aren't you a little bald for a Hydra agent? Anyway, of course, they get caught. Professor X uses his powers to confuse the Hydra troops. Baron Strucker attacks with this glove he has called the Satan's Claw. But oops, it's kind of made out of metal. And Magnus uses it to crush his hand. (laughs) Magnus then takes the gold and buries Hydra under a mountain. Magnus and Charles splits ways with Magnus floating away with a shit ton of gold. Then in uh, current time, Professor X wakes up. Lalandra has a banquet off in space where she doesn't invite Professor X to celebrate his own uh, recovery. (laughs) But she goes catatonic as Deathbird and the Brood get the drop on both the Shi'ar and the X-Men. So in the ongoing debate, whatever Wolverine is smoking here is definitely not a cigar. We're back to the cigarello kind of thing. So we see where Wolverine and uh, Cyclops have something in common. Wolverine says, he's talking about Cyclops. He says, he's been through this before, Kitty. With Jean Grey, it's a hard thing for a man to face watching, waiting, helplessly while someone you care for fights for their life. Especially when you feel as deeply as Scotty does and try as hard to hide those feelings. In that way, I guess he and I are a lot alike. So just their uh, their repressed emotions. (laughs) Good thing to have in common, I guess. (laughs) So I like the little fight between Scott and Storm about leadership qualities. And this is the first 
at, to this point, I think it gets retconned, but to this point, this is the uh, first Professor X Magneto meeting, and I rather enjoy it. It's a good meeting. We do get a comment where uh, Professor X says that Magnus's mind is closed to him, and he can't read it, which I thought was interesting because there's no helmet, which is later why Professor X can't read his mind because Magneto has like a side shield in his helmet. And I think this also kind of plays on as earlier, like back in the 60s, they alluded to Magneto having certain mental abilities as well. And I'm wondering if, if this is still a little bit of a leftover from that. Like he was somehow able with his powers or his own mutant ability to block out Professor X. So yeah, when they go in, when we go, Professor X goes in Gabby's mind to wake her up. Cockrum's psychedelic mind bugs look pretty awesome, gotta say. And his Nazi monsters look pretty cool. We also see kind of the first ideological schism between Magneto and Professor X. Magnus says Charles is an idealistic fool. Of course, he has not revealed he's a mutant yet, so he says, if mutants exist, humanity will fear them and out of that fear try to destroy them. There's only one way to guarantee the survival of Homo Superior, and that is for them to hold the reins of power. Of course, Professor X says security cannot be imposed by fear from above. It must grow from understanding. So we get kind of their first split. Professor X is the worst psychologist ever. He forces this girl awake, uh, lets her develop feelings, doesn't return the feelings, but still breaks the age-old don't sleep with your patient (laughs) rule, even though he's not that into her. Of course, we know later that this will produce an offspring that'll come uh, I don't remember exactly how far down the road, but a little ways. I actually forgot that this was where that started, so that was interesting to read. So I thought the the Hydra agents looked a lot like uh, G.I. Joe, like Cobra Vipers, particularly, or specifically, the Hiss 2 driver. <laughs> Google it, look it up if you don't, if you don't know your Joe. We get a really nice shot here in a little bit of Professor X's eyes, a really big Clint Eastwood close-up, and his classic eyebrows, his super archy eyebrows. But it's a really cool panel. And I love the Satan's Claw glove because it has Kirby Crackle. Always love when... Uh, actually, you know, Cockrum is really good at Kirby Crackle, I must admit. he's uh, That's one of his strong suits. So, speaking of Cockrum, the art overall in this book is really quite good. This is good Cockrum, and we, we get that uh, probably a little over half the time. We get really, really good art from Cockrum, and this is one of them. So the art was actually quite good. Uh, the story is awesome. It's a great flashback. It's a great first meeting. It's a good story in the flashback. Good story in the present. Kind of the drama there around, you know, the X-Men kind of fighting. Cyclops losing his cool, grieving for, you know, the apparent death of Professor X or the feared death of Professor X. Um, Then we go into space and the brood come back. It's all really nice. There's a nice, really parallel between the story in Professor X's head with Gabby and then kind of... Lilandra trying to use their psychic rapport to pull Professor X out of his coma in the way that Professor X pulled Gabby out of her coma. So it's kind of a nice parallel. Overall, I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men 161 6 out of 6 claws. I love this issue. It's great. And we really only kick off, I mean, the leftover of the previous brood story is there and that 
professor that's why professor x is in a coma because he's mentally trying to attack the brood egg inside him and then at the very end we kind of kick off the brood saga in force so we'll kind of get to that more but um i thought it was a great little little kickoff to that story okay next up we have uncanny x-men 162 this is beyond the farthest star Written by Chris Claremont, pencils by Dave Cockrum, inks by Bob Wyacek, letters by Tom Orzakowski, colors by Gwyneth Wien. The cover is by Cockrum and Wyacek, and this is a uh, iconic cover, and probably the one most people think of when they think of the Brood Saga. It's basically Wolverine in um, a loincloth. <laughs> no, actually more tattered briefs, but he's on his knees screaming in agony and he's otherwise naked and hairy and um behind him is a brood alien spider thing and a big purple spider web and is about to take a chomp on wolverine's head about to about to have him a little wolverine snack it's a really great cover it's very intriguing like i said pretty iconic i think a lot i think it's a pretty well-known most we loved cover by Dave Cockrum. So we start off with a battered wolverine running through an alien space jungle. He has sharp pain inside. He inhales some psychedelic space pollen and dreams of riding horses with Mariko in Japan. They're in love, but they're attacked by eagles who are really brood hunters. Killing, quote-unquote, Mariko snaps him back to real life. Wolverine fights the brood, holding his own, but then falls and lands in a giant spider web. We find out the jungle is actually the inside of the carcass of one of the giant fish, the giant space fish that the brood use for their ships. Uh, brood say, uh-uh, we ain't going down there. Wolverine catches up the reader. Basically, they were at the Shi'ar banquet when Deathbird attacked. X-Men woke up, Wolverine was really sick, but everyone else acting like, Everything is awesome! The Wolverine can see the brood and struggles against the ceremony that they're doing, but freezes when Kitty struggles. Wolverine has an awesome fight with some creatures on the web and escapes after our recap. He takes another flashback nap, so we go back to back in time again. Where Wolverine knows something's up, so he sneaks around after promising Kitty he would get them home. Here he's seeing, he sees Fang, remember him? Wolverine stole his clothes one time. But he sees Fang transform, metamorphosis, and learns that the brood keep all the memories, abilities, and genetic potential of their host. Then it clicks. The ceremony was the queen inserting an egg in the X-Men. Right, Wolverine wakes up from his flashback nap and fights some more brood and slaughters them. Pretty awesome. Pretty badass. He begins to transform but fights it. His adamantium bones and healing factor win the day. And that's why he was sick. His body treated the brood like an infection. Fever, pain, feeling run down. He's going to, he decides then he's going to either free the X-Men or put them out of their misery. All right, so this issue very Wolverine focused. Just another great issue of Chris Claremont riding a badass Wolverine. We start with pretty much a Wolverine discourse, big paragraph about who he is, what he does, his motivations. He clarifies that he's thought of as a killer, and that's that's a fact. He's killed 
But the truth, the whole truth, is really that he, he likes to think of himself as a warrior. And then killing is part of that. But it's not, you know, it's not like he just loves killing. And that will be debated and go back and forth through time <laughs> as Wolverine grows. But anyway, it's a really nice little opening segment while he's doing this kind of run through the space jungle. And, you know, his fantasy is, is just him and Mariko riding horses, being in love together in nature, a simple life. That's all he really wants. But he can't ever have it, can he? We do get a comment that his skeleton is laced with adamantium, his bones, but his claws are forged out of the same adamantium. So there's a distinction there that seems to indicate, of course, obviously we don't have bone claws yet. That's a a retcon that comes later. So this kind of seems, I think you can work with it with what we know now, but it kind of seems and, and points to the fact that at this time, the claws were added when the adamantium was added. So they were they were made and not just laced like the rest of his bones were. So if they had had bone claws back then, they would just say his claws were laced as well. So Wolverine also refers to Japan as his second home. So we get a little bit more of that kind of really what's coming up pretty soon. And we talk about Wolverine having the soul of a samurai. I think this is the first time that's really kind of mentioned. The Mariko has said before that he's gentle and noble inside. But I don't know if the, if the soul of the samurai phrase has been used. Wolverine talks about the brood. He describes them kind of in detail, what they do. This is He coins the term Suizoid. And this is the first time we get that. And I'd like to point out that he points out, Wolverine says that the brood are the deadliest beings in the universe next to me. <laughs> and then he talks about dark times in his past. Or, I'm sorry, he says the dark times are behind him. So that's mysterious and intriguing. And we get it, the whole phrase. So when he's fighting the, the monsters on the spider web, uh, he says, the X-Men have never seen me like this. Part of me hopes they never will. I'm the best there is at what I do, but what I do best isn't very nice. Yay, we get it. We get the whole thing. We've, we've had kind of hints at it. We've kind of had almost it, but that's, that's our phrase right there, our, our Wolverine catchphrase. Finally shows up in whole. I was interesting that Wolverine uh, basically says he'll he'll kill his friends if he has to. He doesn't want them to turn into brood. I really like the idea that Claremont uses here where the healing factor attacks the brood egg like an infection and kills it. I thought that was a really nice way of dealing with that and a way to make kind of Wolverine the first person to kind of break the spell, so to speak. And it really puts his body through the paces. We have all these weird, like, cuts and scars. And by the end of the issue, he almost looks thing-like. Because his, his body is fighting it so hard and having such a hard time. That, that was really cool. So the art, again, Cockrum's on a roll. One of his roles again. He gets on him. The art's really good in this issue, again, actually. This story is amazing. Claremont gives us a great Wolverine story. I like how it starts with him on the run and disoriented, and then we kind of get the pieces through his uh, little flashback naps of how he got there, from the how he got from the end of last issue where the Brood and Deathbird surprise the X-Men and the Shi'ar, and then we start off with Wolverine obviously having been through a big fight, and he's just running through this great alien spacescape 
which is one of Cochran's strengths, drawing that spacey alien stuff. He's really good at it. Yeah, but Wolverine, in this comic, he's a badass. We get great use of his power. It's a great X-Men issue, but it's a really great Wolverine story. Just a lot of fun to read. Again, I've read this several times through my life, and I never get tired of it. I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men 162 six out of six claws as well. I love it. Great, great comic. Okay, so next up we have Uncanny X-Men 163, which is Rescue Mission. Written by Chris Claremont. Art by Dave Cockrum and Bob Wyacek. Uh, this time Joe Rosen does the letters and Bob Sharon does the colors. So on our cover is by Dave Cockrum. And we have a brood has cornered Kitty Pride on a spaceship. And she is all cut up. And her dress is tattered. Has a very alien vibe to it. Pretty good cover. I like it. It's pretty good. So the brood are testing the unique genetics of Carol Danvers. Wolverine makes it back to the brood central. He takes them out and rescues Carol, who feels repowered. Meanwhile, back on Earth, Professor X is rebuilding the mansion. Havoc and Corsair fret over the Shi'ar brood situation. Corsair is going to go rescue them, but won't take Havoc. Cyclops dreams of Brood X-Men, but leans on his psychic training from Professor X to wake up. He wakes up Storm and runs into Wolverine and Carol. They plan to rescue Elandra and the rest of the X-Men and escape on the Shi'ar ship. So to do that, they split up. (laughs) Storm, Nightcrawler, and Kitty go for the ship, while Cyclops, Wolverine, Colossus, and Carol go to find Lolandra. Wolverine struggles with telling the X-Men about the brood eggs that are in them and how his healing factor healed him. Basically, it would have been a survivor of guilt. When they reach a fork in the road, he smells Lolandra on one side and the brood queen on the other. Wolverine argues with Cyclops about killing the queen when more broods show up. The X-Men are doing pretty good. Carol gets Lolandra. Wolverine goes for the queen. Meanwhile, at the Shi'ar ship, Storm flies Nightcrawler and Kitty as high as she can, and the Nightcrawler teleports him and Kitty the rest of the way to the outside of the ship, and then Kitty phases inside. A brood surprises her, but she traps it in an airlock, where it accidentally lets itself out. Don't let the airlock hit you on the way out. <laughs> Wolverine is about to kill the Queen right as the X-Men are beamed aboard the Shi'ar spaceship. Wolverine is about to tell the X-Men their cruel fate when the ship is attacked. So, we get a really cool snicked in black. Uh, Basically, we have a black background and we see the brood coming out of the shadow and Wolverine's fist coming out of the top right-hand corner and then a snicked in the dark. It looks really cool. And Cockrum's brood, of course, is really awesome. We get a great uh, angry Wolverine face. As he's uh, fighting um, the brood and trying to rescue Carol. So we get uh, kind of Wolverine's kind of order of, of work. The first he was a commando. Then he was Canadian Secret Service. Then an X-Men. But he's a warrior. Best there is. And he talks about one time how he had bucked orders when he was in the Canadian Secret Service. To save Carol from the KGB. Because back then she was an American spy. And they had worked together. So we get more of their, their history. And then Wolverine had rescued her at one time. Then Wolverine, after he rescues Carol, he catches a naked Carol Danvers. But he's a gentleman and he finds her a space kimono. 
Uh, the starry eyes look cool as kind of Carol feels weird. There's like this cosmic universal power inside of her. So we had kind of her eyes go black when they're full of stars. It looks, it's a really nice image. So the ghost image of Storm, as she's kind of fighting the brood transformation, is a cool idea, but it's really difficult to actually tell what's going on because of the way they did it. Basically, it's Storm's face. Then in no inks, just in a red soft color, you see like a holographic outline of a brood face over hers, like kind of showing the internal struggle of the brood trying to take over her, her psyche. But you really have to really look at it to see that it's a brood face. It kind of, it kind of just looks like red lines in a panel, like someone has scribbled on it. <laughs> like, oh, who messed up my comic book? Oh, wait, that's part of the art. It's a great idea. It's just hard to see. I like that Wolverine struggles with telling the X-Men. He feels bad that he has spared himself their fate, but he can't find a way to save them because the eggs are attached to their like nervous system. like They can't cut it out. I thought it was interesting because Kenny says that she has to hurry when she gets inside the ship because she had to leave Nightcrawler outside in the cold space with limited oxygen. Thought that was interesting that I guess at this point she can only phase herself, which she can just say that as she gets stronger in her power, she can start phasing other objects and other people. But um, at this point, she cannot phase Nightcrawler into the, the ship with her. And Kitty says that she doesn't want to be like Wolverine, so she doesn't want to kill the brood, but when they get trapped in the airlock, she kind of she fights it, and the brood uh, seals its own fate because... When it tries to sting her, she phases and it hits the button and lets itself out. The art is pretty good again. Color work, really good. Uh, Bob Sharon did a great job this issue. The story is uh, quite nice. I like the inner turmoil and drama. The story's coming along pretty good. I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men 163. Uh, I'm going to give it 5 out of 6 claws. Okay, next up we have Uncanny X-Men 164. This is Binary Star, written by Chris Claremont, pencils by Dave Cochran, inks by Bob Wyacek, Joe Rosen does the letters again. This time, Janine Casey is the colorist. The cover is by Cochran and Wyacek, and on it we have Binary, or our new version of Carol Danvers, previously known as uh, Miss Marvel. And she's on the deck of the spaceship, and the X-Men are standing around her in astonishment of her new powers. She basically looks like a cross between Miss Marvel and the Phoenix in a lot of ways. Or maybe Firestar, who hasn't come along yet. But anyway, so remember the X-Men ship was attacked as they were making their getaway, and they're being attacked by brood fighters. If the brood ships are space whales, then of course their fighters are space sharks. The brood queen orders our heroes taken alive, all except Wolverine, since he has managed to destroy the egg inside of him, kill him. Because I guess the queen can feel her eggs. Oh, and uh... Succeed or die, says the Brood Queen. So Alandra's Shi'ar space yacht is made for loving, not fighting. But there are some rudimentary weapons that Wolverine, Colossus, and Carol go to shoot the Brood like an arcade game. Colossus is hesitant to kill the Brood 
Sharks, but Wolverine and Carol are going for the high score. Cyclops uses a ruby shield to blast sharks out of space, and Storm tries to use space lightning to stun the, the, the brood fighters, but she loses control. Kitty goes out to repair the warp drive since she can phase and not get blasted. Carol feels weird. Kitty catches some shrapnel, and uh, Carol finds the brood experiments and reawoke her dormant cosmic powers with a vengeance. Meanwhile, back home, the mansion is rebuilt, and Professor X is home alone with Ileana. He says, if I send her back to limbo for a few seconds, then she'll come back illegal. <laughs> she wonders if she's a mutant, but he doesn't care, proving once again Professor X is a dick. Kitty temporarily fixes the warp drive, but then the ship is paralyzed. A shit ton of energy is needed to jump shark the <sighs> sigh matter dash antimatter cores. Carol unleashes her ramped up rediscovered power to get the ship going and make a new costume. She gives herself a new code name, Binary. Nightcrawler is concerned that Kitty is completely healthy, but should have been killed by the radiation when her uh, the shrapnel ripped her spacesuit. Wolverine is going to kill his friends before they brood out, but he can't bring himself to do it and storms off, blaming his snickety outbursts on stress. Cyclops, though, is suspicious. He's suspicious about Kitty, healing so fast. He's suspicious about Wolverine being so temperamental, which, isn't he always that way? He's suspicious that the brain were not fighting to kill. And none of this adds up. Or it all adds up to trouble. Storm is in a physical and emotional pain and feels something inside her. She thinks she's pregnant and somehow is able to probe herself mentally. She gets scared of what she finds and goes off in an escape pod. Cyclops is at a loss. And Wolverine finally explains what's going on. We find out the egg is planted in the nervous system so it can't be removed. Wolverine admits part of the reason he kept it to himself is A, he was worried he'd have to kill his friends when he knows he can't, and B, survival guilt. His healing factor saved him, but he can't save them. Carol, I mean Binary, gets pissed and flies off to destroy the brood with her new powers. Unfortunately, she doesn't take an escape pod, but just busts right through the wall, depressurizing the ship and assumingly sucking the X-Men out into space to their death. So the art is pretty good. The story is pretty good. Really nice suspense. I like that they ask Carol to join the X-Men. Um, and I like that her and Storm's different reactions. Storm is in fear. She's afraid. And Carol is defiant. But Storm's not fearful out of weakness, the reactions actually make sense. Storm is afraid because she's losing control, she's less powerful, she doesn't know what's going on. And Carol is defiant because the brood somehow made her more powerful by... So basically we find out that while she was... Well, we find out a few episodes ago or a couple issues ago, she's human, but due to the Kree experiment, she may have lost her cosmic powers but she still had, like, Kree super genes. So she was, like, a superhuman. And I like Wolverine's response, because if he did truly have to kill them, he wouldn't want them to know what was going on, because he wouldn't want them to see it coming. He would need the element of surprise to take them out. And if they know they have the brood inside, and that he doesn't, and they're, it's inevitable that they will uh, transform, they might kind of figure out that Wolverine's going to do something and, and fight him before he can. 
So actually like his, uh, his logic and his reasoning. It's, it's pretty good. So I like the way Wolverine's behaving. It, it may seem a little dishonest, but it, it makes sense and I think fits his character to a T. I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men number 164 five out of six claws. Okay, so next up we have Uncanny X-Men 165. Transfigurations, possibly the last stand of the Uncanny X-Men. Chris Claremont is the writer, and whoop, uh-oh, Paul Smith is the penciler. Bob Wyacek is the inker. L. Varley is the colorist, not Elvira. <laughs> Tom Orzakowski is the letter. Paul Smith, or PMS, <laughs> unfortunate <laughs> initials does the cover and this cover is really nice and creepy it's basically storm grabbing her head in pain and then doubling over kind of as a half storm brood and then at the bottom it's all brood but it's basically like her bending down into a brood it's a really great really creepy cover and we'll talk more about the art at the end of the issue so the x-men are being sucked out of their ship but colossus armors up to block the hole Wolverine is going to cut some scrap to take his place. To, so basically the scrap can go up and clog the hole and Colossus can get down. But he gets sucked up. So Cyclops finishes the job with his optic blast, sealing the hole completely with the scrap metal. Back on Earth, Moira reverse psychologies. Professor X is taking more students, such as Karma from Marvel Team-Up number 100, which we covered in a previous flashback episode on the podcast that goes nicked. Storm wrestles with whether she can kill the brood egg inside her and starts to transform, but draws energy from the stars to stop it. So she goes supernova, killing the egg and maybe herself. Elandra and Wolverine convince Cyclops that if the X-Men are going to die, they should go out, taking down as many brood as they can. Uh, now, 14-year-old, because she had a birthday, Kitty has nightmares. Colossus comforts her, and they both lament she's not legal. Thankfully, this awkwardness is interrupted by a storm ghost. Wolverine and Nightcrawler also see a storm ghost, and they chase her around the ship Solaris-style. The X-Men ship is swallowed by Anaconti, which is the name of the, the breed of the, the space fish the brood use for their ships. Ghost Storm, though, tells them not to worry that the fish is her. Uh, so we find out that Wolverine has bionic casings in his arms, and we get Nightcrawler praying, like actually saying a prayer, so more on his religion. Wolverine says he only believes in the physical and what he can feel with his five senses and they're alone with each other wolverine talks about how he only believes in the things he can see hear smell taste and touch and nightcrawler says i never realized how utterly inescapably alone you must be with nothing to hold on to but yourself more alone than i despite my outer appearance could ever be he says i ain't alone bub i got you come on let's see if they got any brew on this bucket more on their friendship, which is really cool. I really like the way that uh, PMS draws Nightcrawler teleporting. Like, he has the Banff cloud and then, like, part of Nightcrawler's body coming out and catching Lilandra. So there's, that's one example. I really like his brood as well and his space stuff. Looks really good. 
So the art changed. Cochran, uh, he went out on a high note. His last few issues have been really good. Uh, Paul Smith kind of blows him away, though. This art is great. Um, great action, amazing facial expressions, nice dream sequences. His framing is interesting. The brood transformations look great. I like his Wolverine, as uh, his, his unmasked Logan. I think looks really good. Yeah, just the art in this issue, just really, really, really good. Yeah, it just is great. He draws great space stuff, great alien stuff. The way he uses and doesn't use borders is fantastic. Just really, I forgot how much I enjoyed his art, to be honest. And looking forward to continuing through his run. The story is also really good. It's a lot of conversation and philosophical drama, but it works, especially this part of the story. And it's really interesting, very character-driven. Just really enjoyed, like I said, the Wolverine Nightcrawler conversation. It's a very moody book, and the art helps out a lot. I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men 165. I'm going to give it 5 out of 6 claws. All right, so next up we have Uncanny X-Men 166. This is Live Free or Die, and it's a double-sized issue. Written by Chris Claremont, Paul Smith is the penciler, Bob Wyacek is the inker, Tom Orszakowski is the letterer, and Glennis Wine is the colorist. And we have a PMS cover of the X-Men Fighting the Brood. And it's an awesome cover. Really nice. Particularly like the way he draws Wolverine's hand. The claws coming out of more of a raised part of his skin as opposed to having the bumps from his gloves still part of his hand like we've seen a little bit with Cochran before. It's just it's a great cover. Great posing. Uh, Lelandra looks cool. Nightcrawler. Everybody looks pretty awesome. And like I said, I love uh, Paul Smith's Brood. They're pretty pretty cool looking. So we go to Sui's world, the Brood home base, and learn all about the Akati and how the Brood enslaved them. Binary, which is Carol Danvers, attacks the home world to avenge the X-Men whom she believes fate is sealed. She mercy kills a captured Akate, or Akantai, whatever, adding to her list of vengeance. So just one more thing the brood have killed in her mind that she's going to avenge. Ghost Storm greets her and enlists her aid to help the X-Men. They all tell Storm of their plan to attack the brood before they die. Storm offers an alternative to save the Akanti. It's a positive mission instead of a negative one. She gives uh, an Akanti history lesson. Uh, basically, there's a prophet singer who is the soul of the whole race. When it dies, it dives into the heart of a star releasing its soul, passing it on to the next prophet singer. But the last one was enslaved by the brood, and when it died, they turned its carcass into their home world, or their throne world. So the soul is trapped, and never got to dive into a star to let itself go to the next um, heir of the uh, prophet singer. Storm's baby fish that she is um, intertwined with, is supposed to be the next prophet singer, but it can't because it can't get the soul. And the Akati cannot be freed without it uh, because they stay with the prophet singer and the baby space fish 
needed a uh, strong soul for guidance. It sent Storm dying in space and swallowed her. Her spirit guides it while it heals her dying body. Very uh, symbiotic. Alright, so back to our plan. The X-Men will cause a diversion while a team goes to free the Prophet Singer's soul. Wolverine doesn't like the plan, which I like that. That he doesn't like the plan. Uh, he can't trust the other X-Men won't transform during the battle and thus betray them by essentially becoming brood. Cyclops then challenges him to kill them all now. He snicks for Cyclops, but Kitty intervenes. Cyclops uh, gets Ghost Storm's blessing to lead the team and tells Wolverine, tough luck. Storm and Carol use the baby fish as a diversion, while Lelandra and the rest of the X-Men go to the surface. As they fight alien creatures, Cyclops starts losing his cool. Kitty gets separated. The Starjammers, who have spent weeks looking for the X-Men, show up. Wolverine notices that uh, Cyclops smells bad and uh, takes him down and removes his visor to reveal brood eyes underneath brood clops. Optic Blast Wolvie and Colossus as the Queen and more Brood show up. Kitty is hunted by the Brood but saved by a tiny dragon. She walks towards a bright light. The X-Men are captured and uh, Brood Clops loses control of his Optic Blast and accidentally shoots his Queen. Wolverine then jumps into the beam destroying his bonds and his clothes. He KOs Brood Clops and threatens to snick the Queen in the face if the other Brood don't surrender and free the X-Men. Once free, the X-Men bind the Brood, uh, but for some reason, let the Queen tag along with them. They find Kitty who leads them to the soul of the Prophet Singer for the Akanti. It's kind of like a big crystal cavern. The Brood presence of evil corrupts it and the X-Men start transforming. Wolverine is about to kill his friends but Carol grabs him. He got stung by the queen. Uh, then he cut off her stingers in a very badass panel. Um, anyway, he's in real bad shape. Binary uses magic star power to send the fishy soul to the fishy body. This process also somehow purges the X-Men of the brood embryos and crystallizes the queen. But her power disrupted the planet's core. So the X-Men beam up to the Star Jammer as the brood homeworld explodes. Storm's body is healed and rejoins the team. Corsair wants to celebrate. Good times, come on! But Wolverine remembers the Queen talking about a brood on Earth. And Professor X has been having mind troubles. Uh-oh, he's a brood! Dun-dun-dun! Wow, what an action-packed issue. So, a couple of real quick notes before I talk about the overall feeling of the issue issue and there's a part where uh cyclops pretty much tells wolverine all right end this then and we get a really really tense snicked and we see wolverine's hand like quivering and then he makes a fist with a snicked just man it's a great great sequence of panels it's an awesome snicked amazing the brood cyclops firing an optic blast he actually shoots two beams one out of each eye when he has the brood eyes it's pretty awesome and the brood eyes look really cool and really creepy. Yeah, basically Cyclops' regular face, the alien eyes, it looks really cool. Wolverine gets the crap kicked out of him, and that art is amazing as well. His uh, beat-up Rocky face looks awesome. It's just blisters and eyes swollen shut and cuts, and I really like uh, Paul Smith's Logan, the way he looks. Really enjoy it quite a bit. Oh, and we meet the real Lockheed. We had the fairy tale version in Kitty's uh, fairy tale story, but now we meet the real thing. So that's pretty awesome. Wow, the art 
in this book is so good. Faces are awesome. Interesting panel layouts. Always space and light. Alien landscape is amazing. You know what? I would really love for 1983 Paul Smith to have done some uh, Star Wars comics. I think he would have kicked the crap out of that. I think he's just perfectly suited for it. I mean, obviously he's equally as awesome on X-Men. But I just kind of thought to myself, man, it'd be cool to see him do Star Wars stuff. His brood are amazing and scary and creepy. His X-Men look and act badass like the action sequences and the facial expressions everything's just really cool his art looks amazing with Wyacek inks and Glenna's wing colors it's a great combination even the letters stand out in this issue lots of great like bold and kind of the the way Orzachowski changes things in the captions with different fonts and stuff just really stuck out this issue I mean it's always good but something about it just really popped this issue looks really really good the story is also very solid it has a great tone lots of suspense lots of drama lots of action it's a, a good story good plot beats just really really intense and for a guy that doesn't always like this kind of stuff i thought the whole akati mysticism was really cool in this issue i don't know it just really worked and I like how a binary serves as a star replacement to free the soul. That's really awesome. Like, since the body was trapped by the brood and it couldn't really pick the whole thing up and try, try to shove it into a star, she basically used her star powers to burn out the soul and transfer it to the younger Akati to uh, kind of pass on the heritage. I thought, just thought that was a really nice touch. I just... I love this issue. Man, I just, I can't say enough good things about it. Everything about it is awesome. Everything is awesome. Yep, you can thank my son for that. He sings that song all the time. Yeah, but I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men 166, six out of six claws. Okay, so now it's time to wrap up the Breed Saga in Uncanny X-Men 167. The Goldilocks Syndrome, or Who's Been Sweeping in My Head? Written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Paul Smith, inks Bob Wyacek. Uh, we have Al Yankis. Not Al. Is it Al? Or am I just trying to make it Al because we're Al Yankovic? Anyway, Yankis and Ween are the colorist. Tom Orzakowski is the letterer. We have a uh, Paul Smith cover. It's pretty cool. It's like a dark gray and black sky. And the X-Men standing on the hillside. And uh, they're all, all their heads are down. And Cyclops is carrying Professor X's broken body. Kitty is in another horrible costume. She looks like a bad uh, Russian space ballerina from the 80s. But um, yeah, everybody else. Wolverine looks really cool. I will say this looks more like I remember Paul Smith's art looking. Like, so far since he's rejoined the X-Men, his art has been a little more classical than I remember. Like, just kind of classic, awesome comic booky. And this is still really good, but this is a little more of kind of the um, angular, sometimes intentionally almost 2D-looking art that he gets into. And this is more of what I remember of him, or more what his style feels like in my head. Anyway, it's uh, some pretty nice cover. I like it quite a bit. Really, everybody looks cool except Kitty. And that's just a costume choice. It's not drawn bad, I guess. Oh, <laughs> in my notes, I put uh, Kenny's X-Men prom costume has to go. All right. So the X-Men are headed home to try to save Professor X from the brood queen that's inside him. But first, we meet the new mutants. Um, and then the X-Men come barging in the mansion to attack Professor X 
as the Brood Queen. Of course, the New Mutants have no idea this is going on, so they fight back. But hey, kids, these are the X-Men. The big boys are back. Kind of wiped the floor with the New Mutants at first. Uh, Kitty sneaks into the study with a goofy-looking space gun, but hesitates because the physical transformation is yet to begin in Professor X. But mentally it has, and Professor Brood Queen tosses Kitty out and down the stairs and comes out to transform for everybody. Trying to make the situation worse, like any good leader, Cyclops blasts the queen out of the house and into the woods, or, you know, the open. Takes her out of an enclosed area with an easy fight and puts her in a uh, very large forest with, with lots of places to hide. So after they track her down, Wolverine cuts off her stingers. She tries to get away, but Binary and Storm knock her out. Professor... X takes advantage of the attack to say he's still in there but barely and um ask no check that begs for a mercy kill wolverine is about to oblige but cyclops stops him in the star general lab they decide they're going to clone professor x from previous tissue that uh the star jammer doctors had collected and they're going to transplant his mind into the new body uh nightcrawler wonders if the new mutants will love him or be scared of his appearance cyclops finds out he has grandparents Lelandra finds out the Fantastic Four saved Galactus and holographically finger wags him. Uh, the Professor X clone works and now he can walk, except he can't. His subconscious is too used to being paralyzed, so he'll have to retrain his body to walk. He officially introduces the new mutants to the X-Men, who are in fact not dead, as he had told them. Then he demotes Kitty to the New Mutants. By the way, our New Mutants are Cannonball, Sunspot, uh, Wolfsbane, Donnie Moonstar, and Karma. And Donnie Moonstar has another name at this point. What was it? I don't remember. Maybe it's Psyche? Yeah, Psyche. I don't really know why, but it is. So the art overall is really good. Uh, the story is good. Uh, they came home, they, they took care of business, ended the brood threat, question mark maybe. The Fantastic Four sidebar was weird. The Kitty situation has a lot of dramatic story story potential. I don't really like it, but we'll get to that. The New Mutants. Alright, so I, I like Cannonball, and based on this issue up to this point, that's about it. Really curious about the fate of the Queen. And basically, um, take her back to the Star Jammer to, uh, remove Professor X's consciousness and put it in the clone body. And we never hear anything else about it. Like, oh, you know, the Star Jammer's, uh, kept it prisoner. Or they shot it into deep space or into a star to burn. They don't really say. And it's kind of say they got Professor X out and we have no idea what happened. Does it just die? Like with no consciousness? Is it, is it just dead? I mean, just a little note. It would be nice to kind of let us know the fate. Or maybe we'll see that brood queen again someday down the road. I'm not being coy. I honestly don't remember. <laughs> I know we have future brood stories, but I don't remember if they're related to this particular brood queen or not. We'll, uh, we'll see when we get there. So that part was a weird kind of left-hanging moment. Other than that, the story was pretty good. Uh, New Mutants are okay. Not gonna lie, I'm one of the few X-Men fans my age uh, who's not a big New Mutant fan. I don't hate them. I just never really got into them. So, 
I don't know. I'm going to see. I may try to find some old ones and kind of reread them um, parallel to, to the timeline that we're doing here. Or I may just wait till we have some crossovers. I don't know. But anyway, I'm not super familiar. So if I sound a little ignorant sometimes of the New Mutants, it's because a lot of that old stuff I've never actually read. Uh, I know that's somewhat of an X-Men heresy, particularly, like I said, for people my age. But um, anyway, that that's just that is what it is. All right, well, I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men... Well, all right, first of all, uh, I do like the way Wolverine behaves. Like, he's willing to uh, kill Professor X when he asks him to. Um, you know, just like he was willing to potentially kill his friends. We get an awesome shot of him jumping through the air, which kind of with his claws out, which may or may not be the first time he's done that. I'm not real sure. Uh, but it's a great shot of it, regardless. Yeah, Paul Smith's Wolverine is just, is killer. It's really, really good. But yeah, all right. So I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men 167 five out of six claws. And that officially concludes the Brood Saga. All right. And now we're going to have a little uh, bonus comic. And bonus. I'll... <laughs> yes. And I'll explain why in the conclusion that I felt like this was the best place to put this. It's not really part of the Brood Saga, but it's kind of the aftermath issue. You know, the oftentimes when Chris Claremont will do these big spanning stories, when he wraps it up, he'll do kind of a downtime issue. So this is the, uh, this is the Brood downtime issue. So if nothing else, it at least allows me to justify putting it in this episode. <laughs> All right, so Uncanny X-Men 168. Professor Xavier is a jerk. No duh. Written by Chris Claremont. Penciled by Paul Smith. Inked by Bob Wyacek. Lettered by Tom Orszajowski. And colored by Glennis Wine. We have a Paul Smith cover, which is actually one of my all-time favorite X-Men covers. It's a very dramatic pose of uh, Kitty Pride in her original X-Men costume, the, you know, the black and gold, leaning against a wall. And there's a spotlight on her, and she's got, like, rips. It looks like claw rips in her costume, like on her arm and her belly and her leg. And she's all bruised, and she has a tear. And uh, she's just making this really dramatic, like, kind of angry, scared face, but determined. I don't know, it's just a... I've always thought it was a very striking cover, and it's just it's one of my favorites. So, yeah, love the cover. So, basically, remember last issue... We left off where uh, Professor X demoted Kitty to the New Mutants because being an X-Men is just too dangerous and she's just too young. So Kitty has been ranting and raving about how, how unfair the Professor X is. Ileana, now one of her teammates on the New Mutants and has been her, one of her best friends for a while, says that she's being immature. And by the way, a little creature is spying on them. So Wolverine is going to take some vacation time and go home to the Canadian Rockies. Nightcrawler is taking him to the airport, but they argue about Kitty. But in the end, they really both agree that she should still be an X-Men because she's earned it, regardless of her age. Professor X works with his lover, Lelandra, in the danger room to overcome his psychosomatic paralysis in his new clone body, but it's not to go in so good. They both lament their, their responsibilities are keeping them apart, as Lelandra must return to Shi'ar space to stop her sister, and Professor X must stay on Earth to collect new mutants. Guide. I mean, guide new mutants. Kenny's dance teacher tells her to quit moping and just talk to Professor X. Storm tries to re-commune with Mother Nature, but can't. 
She's suspicious of the reason, but doesn't tell us. Kenny tries everything with the professor, but he doesn't budge. She's nice, she's angry, she kisses his butt, but nothing works. He doesn't budge. Uh, Cyclops takes some time off to Florida to visit Lee Forrester. They see no long-term future, but decide they can bump ugly for now anyway. Nightcrawler surprises Amanda Sefton with a night of wine, fine dining, and uh, stuffed Nightcrawler dolls on his crotch, or otherwise known as crotch pillows. What? Which, I was kind of embarrassed of myself. I remember the Nightcrawler number one, like the new series. They recreate this panel, and I knew I had seen it somewhere, but I couldn't remember where, but this is it. It's where he's laying on Amanda's sofa, he's got an ice champagne, he's got the bath doll, like, he's laying seductively, and the bath doll is covering up his junk, even though he's in full costume, and uh, he has a glass of wine held in his tail. So anyway, it's, it's, uh, that's where that came from, and I'd forgotten this was the issue. Anyway, back at the mansion, Kenny notices a presence in the computer under the mansion and goes to check it out because, you know, last time that made her a respected X-Men. She finds Lockheed, the stowaway dragon, but is then attacked by some young Sindri. Those are the the bounty hunters that were sent after Corsair uh, that kind of kicked off this whole story. Remember, they looked like kind of a cross between a spider and a stingray and shot little blasts out of their eyes. Anyway, there's a bunch of baby ones running around under the mansion, like a cockroacha. And so they they determined, the X-Men, Professor X and Kitty, determined there must be a nest somewhere. So Kitty and Lockheed attack the Sindri and hold their own. Uh, but Lockheed goes AWOL. Luckily, Colossus comes in to save the day. And then Lockheed shows Kitty and Colossus that he uh, found and devoured the whole nest, which were... Hundreds of eggs eaten by this tiny little dragon. But hey, he doesn't. He must be a bottomless pit. He's about to have a gross spurt. Uh, Kitty convinces Professor X that they have to let Lockheed stay. Can I keep him, huh? Can I keep him, please? Please? And Professor X says yes. He also says he's impressed with Kitty's actions and suggests a compromise. She can be a probationary X-Men. As long as she can keep up with her education and training, she can stay an X-Men. But if she can't, then it's back to the New Mutants with ya. So Scott goes with Alex and Corsair to see their grandparents in Alaska, but is greeted by Madeline Pryor, who's a dead ringer for Jean Grey. Even talks like her. Sounds like her. Looks exactly like her. And this, of course, throws Scott into a tizzy. That's where we uh, leave off. At the end of the issue, we have some uh, a collected page of a reader-submitted kitty costumes. They're all horrible. Good job, readers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're really bad. So the art is great. Been really enjoying Paul Smith. The story is a really good downtime issue. It's the aftermath of the Brood Saga. We have lots of personal dramas. Uh, the whole kitty situation, which I think is the right one. Wolverine's right. And I like his stance that um, she's definitely earned it regardless of her age. She's proven herself. And I'm glad Professor X finally sees that. And the compromise is okay. Also, uh, Wolverine leaves and this kind of clears the way for something around the bend. Which is uh, the Wolverine miniseries. So that's exciting. This is kind of his taking off. And unlike the New Days, 
They actually try to keep a cohesive uh, timeline. When he leaves, he's actually not in the next few issues of Uncanny. So that's kind of cool. Anyway, I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men 168 5 out of 6 claws. Okay, so that's going to do it for episode 95. A flashback episode over the Brood Saga. An intense and very important X-Men story. And one of the big long ones that Claremont did. Split time between Cockrum and Smith on the art. But man, it's a great, great X-Men story as you can... Tell no doubt by all the high grades I gave these issues. I think everything was either a 5 or a 6. Uh, we covered Uncanny X-Men 161 to 168. A big old chunk. And I'm sad that I kind of went through it kind of fast. But that's kind of how it goes when I'm by myself. And I explained all that in the beginning. So, you know, get over it. You're this far. Now, time to quit worrying about it. So what do we find out in the Brood Saga? Well, first of all, overall, like I said, it's a very um, epic X-Men story. And and the X-Men perform really well. And that, I mean, the way they act, the way they fight, it's just, I don't know, it's just, this is a really badass X-Men story. And just them as a team, as the individual characters, the decisions they make, the things they think. Uh, Claremont gets a little more into his prose in a good way in these issues. It's not quite... As like it's wordy, but it doesn't meander. Like it's very focused and really just progresses the characters really well. So I feel like his long form storytelling is really hitting a stride with this series. And we get Paul Smith's art. I'm gonna say something you don't hear anybody say very often, but I was excited about PMS. Well, I guess <laughs> if you don't want to be pregnant, then you're excited. <laughs> and you had a little scare, then you're excited about PMS. But Paul Smith, man, Cochran was kind of getting back to his, the, the best he is, but I feel like Smith just comes in and blows him out of the water. And this story that he comes in on is perfect for his style. Like I said, his brood, I, and I love Cochran's brood, and he created them, but Smith's brood is just, it's so creepy and just, I don't know, gives you the heebie-jeebies. It's just, it's great in the way he portrays them. I love his X-Men just super excited to see his his run start on uh, Uncanny X-Men. So let's talk about Wolverine. This is the podcast that goes snicked. Well, remember that we learned that his... We'd already known that his bones were laced with adamantium. But we find out, at least at this point, that it is... It kind of contrasts that and says his claws were forged out of adamantium. Kind of making a distinction between... His bones that were already there being laced and the claws being made, almost created. So at this point, you know, it seems that the claws were added during the time that he was uh, given adamantium. Uh, We find out that Japan's a second home to him, or he thinks of it that way. I mean, we know he's from Canada and he's been with the X-Men in New York for a while. So kind of hints that there's something else going on with Japan besides just the fact that he loves Mariko and that's where she lives. And he hinted at that before. So, you know, but this kind of embellishes on that a little bit. We learn more about his love for Mariko and kind of what he wishes he could have with her. Uh, The simple life of just living simply, riding horses around, you know. Find out he has a soul of a samurai. He coins the phrase suizoids, which will be a very popular X-Men term to refer to the brood for pretty much ever, like still today. He refers to some prior dark times that he thought were behind him. Don't really get an elaboration on that. We've known there's some of that too. But anyway, just another reference. 
We finally get the catchphrase, the Wolverine catchphrase. I'm the best there is at what I do, and what I do best isn't very nice. Got it. We find out that he maybe it's a mercy kill, but he's willing to kill his friends and his teammates if he has to. It feels like it will save them or save everybody, you know, because this is a universe-level threat here they're dealing with, with the Brood taking over the X-Men. I mean, that's pretty powerful. They can they can destroy a lot. We find out kind of his chain of evolution uh, from Commando to Canadian Secret Service to X-Men. So that means sometime after he was found by uh, the Hudsons, then there was a time where he was he didn't go right to Canadian Secret Service. Uh, we get more on his past with Carol Danvers, like, for example, the time he rescued her from the KGB. The housings in his forearm for his claws are referred to as bionic, which is kind of strange, but I don't know. Does that mean, like, there's computer involved somehow? I'm not real sure. That's a weird one. We find out that Wolverine doesn't really believe in anything. He's not really a nihilist, per se. A nihilist, per se, but, um... He's not going to pee on anybody's rug. <laughs> but he says he doesn't believe in anything except for what the five senses give him. What he can see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. Those are the things he believes in. So we also get this idea that he's a killer, but we're backing off the psychotic part a little bit. At least for now. That will kind of come and go through his history. But for now, we're trying to grow Wolverine's character, or Claremont is trying to grow Wolverine's character in that He's more of a warrior and not just like an animal and a murderous killer. He's a warrior who's willing to kill. Killing is part of being a warrior, but we go back to that soul of the samurai thing, which is actually spelled out for the first time in these these issues. Yeah, so that kind of wraps up the Brood Saga again. So why did I include 168? Well, it's the downtime. It's kind of the uh, aftermath of the Brood Saga. But also, it sets up the Wolverine miniseries, and I didn't want to include it on that episode for obvious reasons. I think that miniseries will be an episode all to itself and should be when we get to it. But also, between now and then, we're going to have to take a couple of sidebars. And I didn't want to have this issue kind of with that. Like, I wanted to wrap up the continuity because this this comes right out of the brood saga and there's a couple other little sides aside we're going to take and i just felt like this was the best place to put it so in there we find out that uh wolverine wholeheartedly supports kitty as an x-man he argues that she's proved herself she's not too young we're at war and she's a good soldier uh nightcrawler when he's arguing or debating with nightcrawler nightcrawler says but is it right to put her at such risk wolverine says life is risky she could just as easily die being quote-unquote normal or even a new mutant. And of course, if you read the New Mutants, they have lots of near, just as many times where they almost die as the X-Men do. So, I don't really know what Professor X's logic on that was anyway. We also find out that Wolverine spent hours and hours teaching Kitty how to fight. So we get more of that relationship that he took, he is investing in Kitty. Like, he takes a personal kind of mentorship role with her in teaching her how to fight. And that's really cool. I like that he's taking her under his wing. We're going to see that a lot with Wolverine after Kitty. It'll be other people. But um, I really like that idea. Yeah, so that's about it. Um, As far as what's next, I think our next episode will be... Uh, we're going to keep marching closer to Wolverine's death in current time. And as far as the next flashback... Uh, well, we got some cool stuff coming up, and I'll kind of just leave it at that. But some big, 
like just big time Wolverine stories around the bend that are all coming up pretty fast. I'm really excited for where the next several flashback episodes are going to go. And hopefully you are too. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, Please leave an iTunes review. Like the Facebook page. You can send an email to snickcast at yahoo.com. Please follow us on Twitter. We're all bumping right up against 100. I think we're at 96 as the time that I'm saying these words into the microphone. So let's let's go ahead and get up to 100. Let's do it. What else? Oh, you want to see show notes um, for the episode? You can go to the... The webpage, that's snickcast.podbean.com. Also, included in the show notes for just a little while longer is uh, the fundraiser uh, link for uh, Denise's uh, marathon. The Chicago marathon she's running is uh, coming up soon, but there's not too late if you want to help contribute to that. She's running for Team Live Strong. Again, as we said, no pressure, but it's out there. It's available if you want it. All right, so that's going to do it. Until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye.